Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, your lovely host, your, your great host, the host with the most, that's so corny, Rob Lee. And today I have the privilege of being in conversation with a filmmaker, photographer, and writer based in Washington, D.C. Please welcome Isaiah Hedden. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for, for popping on and getting ready to like chop it up with me on this podcast. And before we get too deep, too entrenched into the conversation, I want to uh, open it up to, um, you know, ask you like a question that we all can. We all had a childhood. I'll put it that way. Yeah. You know, so tell me about what it was like growing up and um, and what was that that first stand up special that you remember? Like one that comes to mind because you're, you're writing comedy. You're, you're, you're writing in that yeah. space. So tell me about that. Uh, so I grew up in North Virginia area. I'm one of seven kids, the oldest boy. And so we grew up in a very religious home. Um, as you do when you have lots of, lots of kids (laughs) for order's sake. And I had fun. It was great childhood. Um, made, made friends, got to spend time with family, you know, travel up and down the East coast. It was good times. Um, I, I really appreciate my parents and the sacrifices they made to make that you know, a special childhood for me and my siblings. Um, so I don't think my comedy comes from um, a dark place <laughs> like most people do. I think it's more uh, it's more comes from you know the love and joy I have being in a family that that makes fun of each other all the time, and that's how we <laughs> bond. And so I, I think that's that's where it's rooted in. But when I think of, you know, stand-up specials and, you know, stand-up comedians and just people who are doing funny things, you know, you know my, my earliest memories really go to like, you know, Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and Delirious in his red suit. But I think I remember my parents and their adult friends sitting down to watch the original Kings of Comedy yeah. and then being kicked out of the room. <laughs> Because it was like, oh, yeah, this is not for you. <laughs> and then at that point being like, well, now I want to see it because right. I've been removed. Um, and so just kind of having like loud, funny, um, no, you know, no filter kind of comedy being like instantly this thing that I I, I want to connect to. <laughs> Yeah, um, I I think uh, a lot of those those households growing up, you have those. Uh, I'm probably a little older than you in that I remember mine's wasn't a comedy special as much as it was Harlem Nights. Mm, and, yeah. you know, it's just there's like, oh, yeah, y- y'all got to leave. Y'all, me and my younger <laughs> brother, it's like, y'all got to go elsewhere. Like, I don't care where you go, but we're, we're enjoying this and yep. you're too young for this. So, yep. however, I remember distinctly watching like, Nightmare on Elm Street. No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. Uh, I remember watching Friday the Thirteenth uh, three distinctly when I was like three or four years old. Wow. Yeah. Uh huh. Wow. Eating a chicken wing by myself <laughs> in a bedroom. Just so the parenting on the the the, the vulgarity and that sort of thing. But when it comes to like violence and like yeah just, yeah the the violence thing was okay. It was like you could watch whatever you want. Aliens, Jaws. There was like. No filter, but like certain things, it was like a hard line for sure. <laughs> and, and maybe there was a, a color element there too, or what have you, of like, he's a black kid. These are black people talking about this. Maybe he thinks this is cool, you know? So we should bring, maybe curtail that, nip that. In oh, the yeah. He might be absorbing way too much of this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so when did you know that, that you were funny, like in, in that, that sense of you wanted to pursue 
pursue it. Like there are some people who are really funny. Like I, I judge that as a, a metric on if I'm going to get along with somebody, mm-hmm. if I can make them laugh and it depends on how much they've laughed. Like if they're like, yo, my ribs hurt. I'm like, yes, we're going to be friends. So <laughs> when did you know that you were like funny that you're like, no, nah, I want to go to this next level and maybe take it in right. Or maybe work with a comedy troupe. Tell me about that. Uh, well, growing up, like I said before, it, my family, you know, we make jokes at the dinner table, we crack jokes and that's just like our love language in a way. Sure. Uh, and so when you get to college and you're hanging out with your friends and you're doing the same thing with the people that you love, people are laughing and you're like, Oh, this is a, this is a currency. This is a thing that carries weight. And so it didn't really stick out to me as something, Oh, I should really lean into this until I turned, you know, into my late twenties when I met uh, a very funny writer. Um, I helped her make her first short film. And, but I was like, man, your stuff's really good. Like, I want to get to where you are. How, how are you doing this? Like I had been, uh, I went to college to study film and video and that's what I do now as a living primarily. But to see someone who's just starting out have such good material written word, I was like, how do I get better? And so she introduced me to this comedy um, open mic sketch jam kind of thing where you bring a sketch, people write it, read it out loud on stage. And so I just wrote a sketch, didn't know what it was, just wrote a four page script. I had learned how to write scripts in, in college. So I just applied those same rules and went and people liked it. And so I kept coming back and I kept writing more. And like any writing, that's what it takes. It's like, you kind of have to like stick with it. And so it was a monthly event. I knew every third Saturday or Sunday, or whatever it was, I needed to bring a sketch. And so I was able to work on an idea and, and craft it out there. But really pulling from like, what makes me laugh? What do I find funny? Like, what are the shows that I watch? You know, what are the cartoons that I love? What did I grow up? Was that joshing that I have in my family? Like pulling from that as much as possible. And then being surprised that people actually also find it funny on paper. And so it was more like uh, I tripped over a, a log on the way to trying to learn to, to write that, Hey, there's a funny writing thing that's, that's working for me. I dig it. I dig it. That's, that's great. And um, yeah, I think being able to find like those people and having something that if you're on the fence and you're like, I'm not sure quite yet, but having something that's telling you that you regularly need to do this, to work on that craft, because I think it's with anything. If you don't do it regularly, the bits that you get to are going to suck. And yeah. we we do that work within the time that's permitted. So if it might be a month, that might, that month might seem like a short period of time in between yeah. sessions or what have you. And sometimes when you're really, you know, I'll use some DT, DC uh, slang here, when you're really in the pocket, <laughs> as it were, uh, you're you're able to really like just just be there and just get this stuff and have that output. But if you get out of it, then suddenly you're like, all right, this is waning. I'm not as sharp, so on. And I, I find that in doing this, like I keep a really pretty, pretty strong schedule of, of stuff that's going out. But if I haven't touched the mic or if I haven't looked at it or even written questions or researched or anything along those lines, it seems like it's mid. Something's off. It's not quite there. Um, and yeah, like I've tried my hand at writing a few things here and there. So, you know, I think 
not knowing like the structure on how to kind of get things down to paper. I, I, I think that served you very well, like knowing it, having that background yeah. in education. What are what are some of your influences within comedy, filmmaking? And I have a part B to this, but I want to start okay. off at least with the influences. Yeah. My influence is really for the comedy side of things. You know, I watched a lot of cartoons growing up, like Saturday morning. Every Saturday morning, that's what we did. And we had our favorite shows, you know. So I'm talking about like Peaky in the Brain, Powerpuff Girls, Dexter's Laboratory, just like just stuff that's just kind of slapstick funny. That's probably like, you know, pulling from I Love Lucy in a way or Buster Keaton. Uh, and then like Matt TV. Uh, we were a Matt TV family. We, we didn't really watch a lot of Saturday Night Live, but Matt TV, you know, was doing stuff you probably can't put on TV right now, <laughs> but back in the day it was very, very funny. And then Dave Chappelle, you know, was on TV at his, at his height, with the Dave Chappelle show um, when I was in college. And so all that humor became like common language between me and my friends. And I think all that kind of Jim Carrey, these guys, Robin Williams just had a sense of big characters, big mm-hmm. personalities. And, you know, there's a lot, they're doing stuff I can't do, but like, I love the feeling that it gives you. And I think I try to paint absurdity into my, my comedy as much as I can, if I can, if I can get there to where like, this isn't a normal world and we're kind of taking our moment to get on stage and be silly. So let's, let's be crazy with it. Like why, why does things have to be normal for this to be funny? So let's try and push the, push the bar if we can. And so that's where I lean in on the comedy side of things. And on the film side, uh, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, I went to film school. So like my training in that is I think very less fun and more rigid. I took a lot of international film classes. So like the French new wave stuff, um, is like stuff that really, really sticks out to me. My Netflix, I still get the DVDs and it's like 300 DVDs long. And I'm always adding to it whenever I read an article or I've come across something, oh, I really want to watch that. So by the time the DVD gets to me, I've completely forgotten why I've put it on the list, why I wanted to watch it. And so a lot of it's like international foreign films that have subtitles that you have to read. And it's like really random stuff, but I love it. And I, and I feel like even if I'm not constantly shooting or making stuff, like I'm pulling, I'm pulling from here. Like the yeah. last two I got were um, Cries and Whispers, which is a 1972 film. It's Swedish. It's very weird. It's very red. Like the guy's like obsessed with the color red. It's a very colorful film. And then the, uh, the other film I got was, it's technically Danish, but it was shot in Thailand. Um, it's uh, Only God Forgives. It's a Ryan Gosling film. Oh yeah. Um, I know that one. Yeah. Yeah. The guy who made Drive uh, made it. And it's, one of those things where like he wrote a script then got to Thailand and then realized um, most of the actors couldn't speak English. So he just pulled the dialogue out and made the film anyway. Yeah. And it works so well. And so it's like stuff like that is the things I'm pulling for inspiration on the film side that I'm hoping one day, you know, when I'm, 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 I'm making films, TV shows or whatever it is, I'm, I'm, I'm grasping moments of that and, and working them into into my material. That's that's great. I, I just think of that scene from it. It's like, hey, want to fight? Whoa, 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 whoa. It's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Everything moves in slow motion. <laughs> yeah. The guy, pull, you know, it's just like, uh, you got to watch it. It's, it's one of those films where like it ends. You're like, that's it? 
Yeah, literally, literally, literally. <laughs> I was like, hold up, what's happening here? I was like, this is wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's definitely, it's it's definitely out there. I appreciate his his insanity when it comes to the stories he tells. <laughs> tell, tell me about any anti-influences. And I, I I think that's usually not a question that people throw out there, nor do they really think of it, but it's like, what is an energy or creativity suck for you? And a lot of people will say comparison kills creativity is, is an example. So what would you say is an anti-influence for you? Something that kills creativity for me for, is definitely social media and procrastination. Mm. Um, it's a time suck. Things that are time sucks that actually don't add to your life um, just really, really kill creativity for me. If I like, I need to sit down and write for an hour, five minutes into my writing, I'm, I'm on Facebook all of a sudden. And it's like, how did I get here? And it's mm-hmm. like having to train my brain to, to turn off that stuff or put my phone across the room so that I'm not being interrupted by stuff. That's the things I think that are truly, truly just, just draining on you creatively wise. And like, I don't own, you know, a PlayStation Xbox or any of those video game stuff just because I know that if I have it and I have to decide like, let's, let's take time to write or, you know, or to edit, or I can go play this new game. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, that's four hours gone. Just like that. I mean, I had fun. I enjoyed it. It's great. But I, I know that with my personality and the things I like to do, like it can be too great of a temptation. So I try to remove those things Mm. as best as as I can for my life. Um, And it's the only way to, to stay in, to stay in that mindset. Otherwise it just, it takes me the opposite direction and I get nothing done. Yeah. I, I think there, I, I, I try to add analog things to what I do to limit the amount of digital stuff that I have to do. So in instances, like I, I have a day job as most of us do where we're doing a creative yeah. stuff and <laughs> I'll go into the office for the day job because we were like 60% remote or what have you. Nice. And when I need to like write down questions, actually get into the mindset to research, I got to go into the office. I can't be in the studio because then it's just like, I'm not getting anything done. All of my cool stuff is in here. I'm going to start looking for anime and, and things of that nature to watch. But uh, if it's um, in the in the office, I can almost look at the quality or the thinking that goes into the questions and say, oh, no, I definitely wrote this in the office versus when I'm at home, it's almost like caveman talk as an interview question. <laughs> So yeah, it, it's, it's a difference. You, you can see it. I try to, if I know, notice that that's there, I try to polish it. But I find that if I'm just in my phone and coming up with questions, something's lacking. It's just not quite there. So so since we're kind of around this and process influences and things of that nature, let's let's talk about your writing process a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, take us through it, if you will, like in terms of something that's in the beginning, something that's in the in the middle and something that you're like, feel like I'm feel like I'm done here. feel like I'm good. I'm satisfied. So tell me about that. So Bad Medicine, um, which is a sketch comedy troupe I'm part of, we have yeah. a, a very tough writer's room where things, things go to die. <laughs> and as they should, I mean, like only the best make it to the top. So before I even get to that part, I have to come up with an idea and workshop it and, and make it work for myself. So a lot of my my content is just a joke that randomly came to mind or someone said something I think is very funny and I want to expand on that. And so a lot of times I'll write the dialogue with no characters, just in my head, two voices back and forth, back and forth. 
you know, three pages of it, just like notes on my phone, just write it out or in an email, just get it out, out of, out of my system as fast as I can. And then once that's done, I'll go back and then I'll add the character names. I'll make sure that they're, the setting is set up, that there's, there's more detail about what's going on. Oh, they're wearing this, they're holding that. And then I'll put it more in a, in a outline format. So I'll go back and I'll be like, okay, so beat one. So this is the intro and then beat one, this is supposed to happen. Beat two, this is supposed to happen. And then beat three is like this. And then I want it to end like that. And then I'll compare to see if I'm missing anything. Mm-hmm. And if I'm missing anything, I'll, I'll add that in. Uh, and then I'll rewrite the sketch so that it's hundred percent in film script format. So the characters are centered and the dialogues at, you know, the, the two inches in and all that, just so that it's easy to read for the writer's room. And then I'll take that finished script. I'll either send it to somebody in the group before I take it to the writer's room, just so they could like quickly read over it and point out any major flaws. Um, and then that will be taken in to be read by the group. And then they, our process is you bring your, you bring a script, everyone, you know, you can cast it out among those who are in the writer's room. Everyone reads, the, reads their part. And then you as the writer, don't say anything. Let yeah. them just give you that straight feedback, unfiltered. Don't yeah. try to be like, oh, well, I meant for this joke to be like this. I'm in for that. Let them tell you what worked and what didn't work. Take as many notes as you want. And then it's up to you to take that feedback and figure out how to do rewriting and how to to make it work. And you can either take all of it, take half of it, take none of it. Um, but definitely good writing is just rewriting. So like you're expected to to bring that material back and have worked shopped it some more yourself. Yeah. And you know, people people have written jokes in the writers room that are better than everything anything I've written. And so like if I could take some of their stuff and punch it in or change a character or be, or they're like, "Hey, the first half of this sketch is really great. That's the sketch. The last two pages you don't need to cut them." Like it's it's brutal, but it's we're all working toward the same goal of having something that's very funny. Um, that works for our group. And so like, you kind of have to pour time into it in the beginning, yeah. but be ready to let it go and it to live as a living document um, uh, within the community um, so that you can get to the end product. And at the end, I still feel like it's my sketch. It's what I written. You know, I still have all my notes saved on my phone and all the versions saved in Google docs. So I know how it got to there. But so like, you know, sometimes stuff gets so rewritten. It's like, wow, uh, I don't, my character's name is the only thing that's left <laughs> from the original scratch. Or sometimes it's like the, the, the meat of it's still there. This is great. Yeah. And, you know, every idea is not great. Every night, every idea is not a, you know, a slap your knee funny, but like, I think the process of doing the work, setting yourself up, falling and executing on it is, is very key. And I'm a morning writer. So like, I got to get up first thing I do is roll over to the computer and write for an hour. Otherwise, you know, no, no phones, can't touch my phone, any of that stuff. Like I got to write in the morning when my brain is fresh. And when I follow that pattern, I follow that process. That's when I can, you know, generate eight sketches for a show, you know, seven sketches for a show. If I'm not doing that, I'm trying to write late at night or if I'm like all over the place, it doesn't work. But yeah, that's, that's the process I'm usually following. How, how did, that relationship and that kind of like partnership and part of that community come together with uh, bad medicine. So bad medicine really was born out of the open mic sketch jam that I was going to the people who were running that moved to Chicago. And so it stopped cold Turkey. And then another 
um, Elizabeth Kemp, who I met through the open mic, invited me to a meeting. She's like, I want to start a sketch team. You can write, so come join us. And so I went, and she had invited a couple of people that she had taken sketch comedy classes with. And then we just started recruiting writers and actors, saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put on a sketch show. We're starting a sketch team. And it kind of grew from there. And so I joined the group primarily to write. Um, that was all I was really interested in. I don't want to be on stage. I, I don't consider myself an actor. If I'm on stage, something's something's wrong has happened. <laughs> not enough people volunteered. So now Isaiah has to act, which is not the greatest thing in the world, I will, I will say. But I felt like this is how I continue the challenge. This is how I, I set new goals for myself. And yeah. people are counting on me to deliver. And so now it's going to force me to stay in the groove of writing and stay committed. And it has over the years. Uh, we've been coming up in November. It will be year nine. Nice. Um, and it's like book a show, write for that show, rehearse for that show, perform that show, book another show, and just keep going and keep going and keep going. And we've done that. And people have come and gone. People have gone and come back. And you know, my position as being one of the founding members has grown to where now I'm producer for the group. I'm planning our shows. I'm planning our schedule. You know, I'm making our contacts. Um, in different cities and stuff like that. But I'm still at the core of it, writing. And the, the group has just, you know, it's full of theater people, musical theater people, acapella people, people for filmmakers, people who only act, people who only write. And it's it's a good group. We've, we've, we've lucked out. We really have. It's, uh, it's very talented. You know, it's people power that makes things happen. And I think the people that we've been able to pull in or steal or grab have really added to the group as we've grown and learn how to do this and do this better and better and better. That's that's great to hear. That's great to hear. As as time progresses, there are some things that aren't as funny as they used to be. And you're like, oh, yeah, oh, that's a little cringe. <laughs> um, and to the to the fact that you might say, oh, I can't believe I wrote that. I've asked some questions that early even in this podcast that feel like less informed and at times even gauche. It's like, why would I even ask that? Um, so over the last like few years, have you like like made any attempts to like modify your writing as tastes and as kind of the zeitgeist has, yeah. has changed the consciousness that changed. I mean, you know, hats off to, you know, Gen Z who are taking on the world by storm and have set a new standard for all. And some say it's killing comedy. I'm saying it's forcing us to evolve beyond where we are. And that should happen every time a new generation kind of comes out, mm -hmm. which is a good thing. And so looking back at my old writing and what I was focusing on or how I was setting up characters or jokes, I'm like, I'm making fun of people too much. I'm pushing a character who's being driven to mad or is being bullied. And I want to get away from that. And so moving forward, I'm trying to write more things where the setting is the joke, the situation's the joke, it's absurd, or the reality is just, is really where the humor is. And it's no longer like, here are two roommates making fun of how someone talks. Yeah. Like, it's not so much punching down, but it's like less where the joke is a character being frustrated and more, more like the world is weird. Yeah. Um, and I get more joy out of that. And I think the actors get more joy out of that when you don't have to be mean to someone on stage. Um, I think that there's, there's benefit there. Yeah, I, I dig it. I dig it. Um, I did a, I did a podcast for a very long time for about 10 years and it was taking current events and trying to elicit humor out of them. So like, you know, it's like, 
hey, you know, this is a wild story. And I would make some satire or something like, yo, shit is wild, isn't it? You know? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I remember it was just one story that's a terrible story of like some some guy tried to, to kill himself and he jumped off the top of a stadium or something. And he landed and killed another person. It was, it was a woman. I was like, typical men, just just ruining women every time. Just it's always something. And then the story was like, she was eating the burrito. And I'm like, I'm not even talking about the tragedy and all of that stuff. It's just the things that are associated with it. I'm taking like, that's where some humor can be at while this is a terrible story that wasn't getting any coverage. And, you know, I think that looking at these kind of other almost minutia sort of pieces around the thing, that's where the actual interesting stuff is at versus this person. Like, so I definitely kind of agree where you're, you're talking about like this, this scene is weird. This, this like climate is odd, not necessarily the people. Yeah. Yeah. And we should be growing as creatives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're not looking back at stuff you did two or three years ago and are not cringing, you're not growing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I definitely would say if I pulled out a sketch that I wrote six years ago and we read it, it would be, it'd be rough. <laughs> it'd be very rough, not just in the, in the content and the writing and, and, and the flow of it. And so like, you want to, you want to get better and, and you want to not like your older stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's like when rappers are like, yeah, I want to listen to the old Jay-Z. It's like, he probably hates his old music. <laughs> Like, get out of here. He probably does. He probably does. Probably it's bad in the house. <laughs> yeah, it's like, where's my paintings at? I need to hug them. Uh, but but I think that's that's the thing. I, I, I like the, the, the awkwardness of things. And I think that it, it, more of the surreal stuff, like especially this kind of juxtaposition of a place that's like, like I'm in Baltimore, based in Baltimore. So I want to see some of the more surreal stuff that I see happen here with the backdrop of being the city that can be very gritty while being very like dope in so many ways. Those are the things that interest me kind of flipping it. Like these are the people that make up the culture of this place. And this place has this reputation, but also it's like these people are there. So which is the true reputation of a place? versus like hey let's talk about this person with their different challenges what have you that's who you know that's that's kind of what that is and i feel like a lot of media um is kind of hooked on that where it's like it's it's poking at the people a lot and that's what gets you the you know i would make a wild statement about someone and then it creates you know argument and chatter and and you know flame wars on the internet because everybody's arguing about the, the thing, the person that doesn't matter, but missing the big picture. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to focus on big picture stuff and setting and, and not, and not be like, Hey, this guy wears a red shirt. Isn't that weird? You know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Red shirts. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's, let's, let's move on. <laughs> how, how has um, filmmaking affected your approach to like writing sketches? Like are there considerations made of like, I'm going to view this from being a, a, a filmmaker, being a writer and apply that to like how this sketch should be out there and in, in terms of your process. Cause I, I can say like in, in doing this podcast, I do a little bit more curating than I ever knew that I was doing. (laughs) So for instance, uh, while we're recording this to date it, I have a week of female filmmakers that I did interviews with. That's awesome. And it's just going out and it is, it is great. 
And in the past, it would just be like, that interview's done, put it out. That interview's done, put it out. Just kind of like, you know, scattershot, you know, now it's like very intentional and very curated and timely. So tell me about that. I think coming from a filmmaker background gave me a set of skills Mm -hmm. that allowed me to understand structure. But at the same time, I think it stifled me in a way. Um, As a filmmaker, you kind of get, you kind of have a dedication to perfection because if you know you're making a video, you're making a, a, even a short film, it's locked. What you make is locked, and that's how everybody's going to experience it. And so you're focused on making sure everything is where it should be, and every the pacing and the structure and the music and the emotion. You're very focused on it being perfect. Where like with sketch comedy, it's it's at its root core, it's theater. It's performance, it's live, it's experienced different stages, different casts, different audiences. And so it needs to be more flexible and there needs to be breathing room. And you have to be okay with someone dropping a line or adding a word or or doing something different than they did last time. And I, I went into it so structured and having everything in its place that I think it stifled the comedy. And I kind of had to like unlearn some of that in order to be able to write room, breathing room for the actors to take a character and lean into something they like or to pull back for something they don't like and be comfortable with it and be fine with it and being like, yeah, this is still, you know, this is the part of the creative process we're giving and going back and forth. And I think coming into it as a filmmaker, I just was like not on the right track and it's taken a long time to get to that where I'm flexible. So. We're, we're, we're on this last real question. And uh, before we get to these rapid fire questions that everyone, even you as I, as a, you get. So here we go. Uh, what are two to three interests that you have like outside of like filmmaking day job uh, and, and, and comedy writing and things of the sort, like, what are you doing? Why are you spending your time? The few minutes you may have in between <laughs> all of these things and you're not sleeping. Tell me about that. Um, Yes. So if I am not working on one of those three things, I am probably, I'm a, I'm a, I love board games and I like designing board games. Okay. So I've been dabbling in that um, kind of trying to like, you know, collect game pieces and stuff and see if I can create little fun games I can play with my family and stuff. And, you know, the photography thing is something that I, I, I've leaned into. If you follow me on Instagram, um, you'll see that I had this have a series of night photography that I've been taking on my iPhone since I've had since like iPhone six or four or whatever. And it's just the idea was like anytime I would go home from a bar, I would follow my walk home by taking pictures of things I saw and how I see the world. And but back in the day, the iPhone was not very good at taking night pictures. Right. So I considered it like a challenge to take good night shots. Now every phone can do it easily. But it became like this kind of like therapy for me to like take five or six pictures every couple of nights and then like spend time like retouching them to get them to look a certain way, how I saw them. Yeah. And and that was, that was a great creative outlet that used like a different part of my mind than the, the other stuff uses. It's like that's usually really where my interests lie. It's like, if it tickles a different part of my brain that I'm not, that's not being drained by, you know, the the comedy and the filmmaking and and the day to day, then I'm like, Oh, let's, let's lean into this, but not, but don't lean into it so much that it now becomes this new side hustle that eats up six hours of my day. So it's trying to keep that stuff in place. And 
I love the container store. So yeah. if I'm not doing any of that, for some reason, I'm in the container store walking around. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, so now in the final moments we have here, I got some rapid fire questions. And as we've been going through this, I've been editing and adding questions to oh, this no. because you've, <laughs> you've become more interesting as we've gone through. <laughs> so um, indulge me, indulge me. Uh, and, and remember, brevity is the key here. We don't okay. want to overthink these. Okay. So I'm going to give you a, a, a softball, if you will, to start off. Uh, sorry or Monopoly? Sorry, because Monopoly ends in bankruptcy, usually. <laughs> I like it. Uh, on a Friday night, you're doing what? Friday night, I'm doing laundry, because there's no one doing laundry in my building. Um, now, now it's going to get progressively weirder. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> tell me a song that's on your Toxic or Ratchet playlist. Toxic or Ratchet playlist? Because I feel like we all have one, and people even, you know, people who are like, oh, I'm, I'm this dude. It's like, yeah, you, you got some, something wild on it. Everyone does. Uh, you know, uh, it's either going to be something from Megan um, Amigos still. I mean, if you if you ever pull up Amigos, if you haven't listened to them in a while, man, like they were on to something. <laughs> Their old stuff is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like oh, I mean, I every now and again, I like I I don't like the fact that Instagram is part of me networking now. Yeah. But I find songs that are old, and I'm like oh. Oh, usually it's like through some goofy highlight video or yep. something. Like I found like this old Project Pat song earlier and I was like, hold up. Why did I not know about this? This is 24 years old. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, what what's getting new life thanks to social media is is insane. It's so random. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what is your go-to drink? My go-to drink is uh, gin and tonic. Okay. I'm going to save the movie question for later. And so oh. I'm letting you know that there's a movie question. There. Okay. <laughs> what actual medicine would you describe as bad medicine? Whoa. What actual medicine I would describe as bad medicine? Wow. <laughs> wow. That's a great one. I will say, I feel like there's a cough syrup that's just like, ugh. Like you did take it and it's just like, it's just nasty, but it works. It's just, yeah. it's a liquid cough syrup. I just remember taking it as a kid yeah. and it's just like, it's one of those things you're just like, there's nothing else that tastes like it. And it just, it ruins, it ruins anything you eat afterwards, but it, it works. Yeah. I, um, I've recently, I, I bought it, bought this stuff on a steak. It's this like honey cough syrup. That Ooh. is, it's ridiculous. It's literally just a really, really thick, dark honey. And I bought the, it's super expensive too. I bought the one for kids. And so that has, I guess it has less of the active ingredient in it. And I was like, this is doing nothing. I'm just sitting there just drinking it. I was like, I think I have a problem. I'm just drinking scissor at this point. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> but it's like, oh, natural scissor. I was like, this is, I was like, I'm a hipster, but also an addict at this place. <laughs> Lastly. Um, what are three of your favorite movies from the last year? From the last year? Because you're, you're a movie guy, so I can't just yeah. say all time. Uh, yeah, now you, you've narrowed it down. I almost have to pull up my film app. Just pull up Letterbox. It's like, yes, that's exactly where I'm going. <laughs> I don't even know if these films are from this year. Uh, I think you could search by year. Uh, 2020 is... 
2022. Is that the year we're in? That is the year we're in. All right. Um, oh, dude. Well, uh, <laughs> all right. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the three that came out this year. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, number one, I'm going to call it. It's, it's, it's kind of a film. It's called the house. It's on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's a claymation, not claymation, but it's top animation. Very good. Um, it's three different stories. Beautifully done. If you like, um, uh, the fantastic Mr. Fox, it's kind of like in that style, but it's not a comedy. It's very serious. Got it. Um, I really love the Batman. <laughs> same, same. I, I know it's like people didn't like it, but I was so happy to see a different approach to Batman. I feel like mm-hmm. we get the same, same Bruce every time. And it's like, let's just mix it up. Why not? Like, give me a different Batman. Give me a different motive. Change up the characters. I do think you could cut Catwoman out of that film and the same film would, would progress perfectly fine without her. You get a buddy cop movie in the middle of it, which is oh, yeah, what I yeah. want. You know, I was like, oh, Gordon with his, you know, sidearm and his high top fade or whatever he's got going on with that wig. Yeah, yeah, it it, it works. Yeah. It, it definitely works. I, I'm i not going to buy it, but if it's on TV at any point, I will leave the TV on. Like, whenever it hits HBO and it's just always on, I will be like, oh, it's on. Yeah. I'm going to leave it on. It's, it's just that good. And uh, Sonic 2. Really? <laughs> yes. Jim Carrey, I, I, I've... I'm such a big fan and he carries <laughs> so many films and that one for some reason, just like he's great in it. Um, the Sonic animation works. It's a, it's a, it's a kid's movie, but he, he really makes it work. Like you couldn't cast anyone better for that role. And I know he's acting to like nothing. Like I know there's nothing around him, yeah. but the amount he's pouring into that is like, if you like the Grinch and his performance there, You'll love uh, Sonic 2. Well, thank you. I, and I like the first one, so that's an endorsement. I will be checking out the second one then. And you make me want to now rewatch Batman. <sighs> so just, good, man. You give me just, things to do. Just the red, the red, just the colors, the yeah. saturation, the Riddler's character, the shadows. It's just like the whole thing. It's beautifully done. Well, thank you. Um, well, there you have it. Um, I want to um, thank you again for coming on to this podcast. This has been delightful. And uh, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to check out your work, where to check out Bad Medicine, all of the stuff. Uh, the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, of course, if you want to see the comedy that I'm writing, producing, directing, go to badmedicinecomedy.com. Everything is there. Our schedule, um, our classes, our videos, uh, the podcast I also produce, that's Sketch Comedy Base, that's Sketch Nerds. Um, it's all there. So badmedicinecomedy.com. Well, there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Isaiah Hedden for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there are creators, artists, comedians, writers, and then around your neck of the woods, filmmakers as well. You just got to look for them.